This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. What's going on everyone, Axelbeats here for Anime Uproar. One Piece has always been filled with iconic, powerful groups of characters that the entire balance of the world seems to be shifted around. We have the Admirals, the Yonko, the Supernova, and the topic of today's video, the Seven Warlords of the Sea. If you're enjoying our One Piece content and you want to see more, remember to leave a like on this video as well as commenting to let us know which topics you'd like to see us cover in the future. And don't forget to subscribe so you can keep up to date on those videos as we do release them. And as always, there will be spoilers ahead, so please proceed with caution, you have been warned. The Warlords are, of course, a group of hired pirates who agree to work with the world government in exchange for amnesty. Basically, as long as they come when the world government calls for them, they have the right to do anything they want. And while this might seem like a pretty insane idea, it actually comes from our own real-world history of privateer pirates. Essentially, governments would hire pirates back in the day to attack merchant ships and villages of rival nations, which is a bit of a moral gray area. And just like we might have questions about that sort of thing, characters like Admiral Fujitora and Smoker both oppose the warlord system in the world of One Piece as well, with Fujitora even leading to the dissipation of the warlord system in its entirety. However, their impact has already been felt by the world at this point. Firstly, nations like Alabasta and Dressrosa, where warlords Crocodile and Doflamingo ran rampant, are obviously greatly affected by the blind eye that the government turned towards them. But then you have things like the Pacifistas, which were created in Kuma's image, or the more modern variants, the Seraphim, which seemed to be the culmination of the world government's experimentations on Kuma and other characters like King. And all of these seraphims seem to take the form of younger versions of the warlords and will no doubt be used to stop anyone who stands against the world government. So far we've seen S-Hawk, S-Bear, S-Snake, and S-Shark. But that leaves the question of who else we're going to see. The original Seven Warlords all had an animal theme to them, and those seem to be the ones that are being first produced into Seraphim. But of course, these Seven Warlords of the Sea aren't only seven people. We also have four replacements over the years, and one pirate who was asked to be a warlord but turned it down. So are all of these pirates also on the table? Because if so, we could be in for some crazy developments in the future. That said, because of the Seraphim, there have obviously been eyes drawn back to the Warlord, and based on the ones we've seen having very similar abilities to the Warlords they're based on, we wanted to take a moment to look back on all of the Warlords, their stories, and their abilities to give us an idea of what is to come. Because while many of the Warlords might not have aged amazingly well throughout the series, I'm looking at you, Moria. As a unit and in combination with all these Seraphim abilities, they would be a truly terrifying force. Let's start things off with the original seven animal-inspired warlords. The first warlord that we come across in the story is arguably one of the most threatening in the series. Dracul Hawkeye Mihawk is the strongest swordsman in the world and is currently the highest known living bounty on any character who is not a Yonko, that being 3,590,000,000. His design, as the name Dracul might suggest, is very reminiscent to a gothic vampire mixed with a bit of a renaissance-era swordsman vibe. 
which, let's be real, is one of the coolest things that Oda has ever come up with. It's just very clean, very imposing, and gets the idea of his character across right away. Mihawk, for the most part, is a stoic character, rarely showing emotions and always carrying that air of superiority with him. That said, in situations where he crosses paths with someone that he actually respects or who he takes an interest in, he does seem to loosen up quite a bit. Specifically, we've seen this with Shanks, Zoro, Luffy, Crocodile, and checks notes, Lightning McGuy. One of these things is not like the other. As a whole, though, Mihawk prefers isolation. He makes his home in the essentially empty, muggy kingdom as a means of keeping distance from others. That said, we see him allowing Zoro to stay with him and train, we see Perona becoming a travel partner, and we see him visiting Shanks very early on in the story. So while he might prefer to be alone, he obviously isn't as cold and standoffish as he might first appear. Speaking of Shanks, Mihawk was Shanks' rival up until Shanks lost his arm to the Sea King when saving Luffy. And at that point, it was decided that the rivalry was no longer fair, and Mihawk lost interest in the rivalry altogether. They did, however, remain on fairly good terms going forward, as Mihawk seems to genuinely respect Shanks. In fact, in Marineford, he even murmurs an apology to Shanks when he says he's going all out against Luffy, and leaves the battle when Shanks arrives, saying that battling Shanks would be beyond the scope of his agreement with the world government. And take note of that. Battling Whitebeard was within the scope, battling Shanks is out of the scope. Now, that's all good and grand, but what about with the people Mihawk doesn't like? While normally calm and collected, Mihawk also has a bit of a playful, sadistic side and often acts on his whims. Our first time learning about him, we have Don Krieg attacking him on the Grand Line, and then Mihawk destroying his fleet and following the survivors back to the East Blue just to cut up their ship when he reached them. All just because he was bored. He didn't even consider Krieg a threat, he was just letting off steam. But let's talk about Mihawk's actual abilities. One of the first things we see in the series is Zoro taking on Mihawk, only for his greatest efforts to be stopped by what is essentially a pocket knife, immediately showing an insurmountable gap in their abilities. In terms of power, we've seen him slicing through ships and massive icebergs from a long distance, and when Marineford comes around, he's also shown to be fast enough to keep up with Luffy's second gear with ease, not to mention his reaction speed being quick enough to deflect bullets and redirect them with his sword. And all of this without ever seeing him really put in any effort at all. The dude is serious business. And then you have his hockey, of which Mihawk is skilled in both observation and armament. However, we haven't seen any indication of Conqueror's hockey from him. While his armament is likely top tier, what Mihawk is really known for is his observation hockey, with eyesight that is able to keep track of things moving at great speed, which allows him to act with great precision, earning him the epithet Hawkeye. And speaking of which, his eyes do resemble that of a hawk, and there might be more to that revealed in the future. Finally, we should talk about his weapon, Yoru. Yoru is one of the 12 Supreme Blades, and is a massive curved black blade with a cross-like guard. It is devastatingly powerful, however, he only uses it against people who have earned his respect. For others, he always has his small knife inside his pendant, which despite its size can be combined with his mastery of swordsmanship to remain a deadly threat. But what does this all mean for the S-Hawk Seraphim abilities? Well, firstly, 
All Seraphim are likely extremely durable and seem to be upgraded versions of the original Pacifistas, complete with their laser-based abilities which are similar to the Pika Pika Nomi. The bodies of the Seraphim seem to be artificial Lunarians, so we likely have a similar situation to King's Flames being linked to his durability. S-Hawk specifically though is likely among the fastest models of the Seraphim, and uses a sword in combat. The interesting question here is what kind of sword does he use? Is it just a knockoff Yoru with an average blade, or was he supplied with another supreme grade sword? If the world government does have access to other supreme grade swords, this is probably where I would want to put it if I was them. To date, we've only seen four of the 12 supreme grades, those being Yoru, Shodai Kotetsu, Muroku Mogiri, and Ace. And I'm sure we're going to see a few more within the world government itself, and maybe in the revolutionary army or among the giants on Elbath. But it would be very interesting to see one of the Seraphim holding a supreme grade weapon as well. S-Hawk will also likely have improved observation abilities, which might allow him to find enemies more easily, or maybe allow him to fight in less visible conditions like fog. Notably, S-Hawk, like the other Seraphim, also has a tube full of liquid on his right arm. That said, we still don't know what this is. It could enable other abilities, or it could be some kind of fuel supply. We'll have to wait and see. But for now, let's move on to Jinbei. Jinbei, of course, grew up in the orphanage which became the Fishman District along with Arlong and Fisher Tiger. And at a very early age, he earned his black belt in Fishman Karate, showing himself to be a prodigy almost immediately. As he grew older, he would become a soldier in Neptune's army, however, he would eventually resign to join Fisher Tiger's Sun Pirates. While in the Sun Pirates, Jinbei would earn a name for himself, and after Fisher Tiger's death, he even racked up a bounty of 250 million, ultimately leading to the world government offering him a position as Warlord, which Jinbei would accept in hopes of building a better future between Fishman and humanity, hoping to live a life which would work towards the dreams of Queen Otohime and Fisher Tiger. That said, we don't really get to see Jinbei working for the world government, as our first interaction with him is in Impel Down, where he shared a cell with Ace because he refused to go to war with Whitebeard. Since then though, we've had a much more flushed out look at Jinbei, starting with his position in Big Mom's crew and working towards becoming a Straw Hat. He has always been demonstrated to be incredibly powerful. In Impel Down, we see him taking down huge groups of guards with a single punch, not making contact with any of them, and in Marineford, he goes one-on-one -on -one beating more with literally no effort. While definitely not on the level of admirals, he is able to hold his own against really any opponent, even managing to take similar attacks to the one that killed Ace and continuing on fairly well. Later on Fishman Island, we see him managing to punch Watatsume up into the air, as well as beating the Tobiropo member Who's Who in a fight in Wano. So it's safe to say he's pretty powerful and considerably durable as well, all of which is amplified when he's underwater as he's a fishman. On top of that, he is such a master of Fishman Karate that his punches don't need to make contact with his enemies, as just the particles of water in the air surrounding him become strong enough to compress, twist, and launch back enemies around him. He can even manipulate the water within people's body, or secrete water from himself like Hody Jones did after overdosing on energy steroids. When it comes to Fishman Karate and the manipulation of water, Jinbei is just the expert. And then you have to take into account his armament hockey, which allows him to do things like fight with Ace for five days on equal footing, despite Ace being a Logia user. It was shown to be durable enough to protect him from Big Mom's Cognac and from Who's Who's Rokushiki abilities. 
And of course, Jinbei is also a talented observation user. As a whole, he's just an extremely well-rounded fighter that while probably not top tier, he's gonna do okay no matter who he's against, he might not win every fight, but he'll probably survive no matter who the opponent is. After Wano, Jinbei's bounty shoots up to 1.1 billion. As a result of him being a former warlord, being instrumental in the founding of the Sun Pirates, having ties to Ryugu Kingdom, and being a former powerhouse member of the Big Mom crew, as well as now being on another Yonko's crew in the Straw Hats. 1.1 billion puts him in the top 20 known pirate bounties in the series, dead or alive, and is a testament to how influential and powerful this character really is. But aside from his just pure battle abilities, Jinbei is also a masterful helmsman who can understand and manipulate the water around the Sunny to allow his crew to battle, or to escape, or to fight, regardless of the situation they find themselves in. We even see him traveling through a massive wave while being chased by Big Mom. He can also communicate with animals on some level, although it is specifically with sea creatures. Interestingly, this is supposed to be only for merfolk, but Jinbei is capable of doing it as well. Most notably, he does this to summon a massive pod of whale sharks to help escape the combat as Luffy and the prisoners are leaving Impel down. Finally, Jinbei is obviously where the S-Shark Seraphim comes from. It appears like a younger Jinbei with Lunarian features, but where it gets interesting is that S-Shark seems to have an artificial version of Senior Pink's Swim Swim Fruit, allowing him to swim through solid surfaces and to use Fishman Karate with the ground that he liquefies. This is notable for so many things. Firstly, if S-Shark has a Devil Fruit, he can't swim in water, so he can't get the normal benefits that a fishman would have in water, but he instead replaces those with on-land effects, or at least inland effects. Second, it means that the world government managed to make another successful artificial devil fruit. More specifically, this is a fruit that is perfect for Jinbei, and not one that the world government should have access to directly. As I said, the original Swim Swim Fruit user is Senior Pink, and while Dofi is a warlord, this implies that the government was able to access not only the warlord's fruits, but also their crews, meaning the Seraphim have the potential for any devil fruit belonging to any warlord or their crew, which opens a lot of doors for them. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
if that's a requirement at all. It could be even more broad than that. They might simply be able to duplicate any fruit in the encyclopedia. However, if that was the case, I doubt they would have needed to perform experiments on Kaido to duplicate his fruit. Speaking of, the copied version of Kaido's fruit is weaker and a bit faulty compared to the original so these fruit might not be optimal either. It's probably safe to say that they don't stack up to the original versions of these fruit, but I would imagine they are still fairly powerful. Either way, on to the next warlord with Bartholomew Kuma. Bartholomew the Tyrant Kuma is a 22-foot tall man who looks like a missionary, carrying a bible everywhere he goes. As the name Kuma suggests, he is based on a bear and has several bear-like features, but the most iconic of which are the paw pads on his hand which come from the devil fruit he has. Prior to becoming a warlord, Kuma was the king of the Sorbet Kingdom, however he was deposed by his people for being a tyrant. His daughter Bonnie though suggests that there's more to the story, and that he is simply someone who was painted as a tyrant by the world government for standing up against them while he was king. Exiled from his nation due to the world government's intervention, Kuma would become a pirate and eventually joined the revolutionary army in the opposition to that world government. In doing so, he racked up a bounty of at least 296 million berries. However, eventually he would be captured by the marines and was originally sentenced to life imprisonment, but Vegapunk took an interest in his unique body and got him a pardon in exchange for becoming a test subject. Through the experiments performed on him, Vegapunk would turn him into the first pacifista, a living cyborg weapon. On top of this, his clones would be turned into future models of pacifistas. Finally, Kuma would lose his entire sense of self little by little as he was replaced with more and more machinery. Though there does seem to be at least a shred of the original Kuma still inside based on recent chapters. So let's talk Kuma's abilities. Firstly, we gotta mention his devil fruit. The pawpaw fruit is a paramecia that puts paw pads on his hands. These allow him to completely deflect anything that comes into contact with him. At a base level, this means he can stop things like swords, punches, or cannonballs with his hands, but this is a very unique fruit in how it allows for some more complex and imaginative options. Kuma can deflect pockets of air as blasts towards his enemy, or he can condense that air in front of him into an extremely pressurized ball that devastates anything it touches. He can propel things like pain out of people and make them into their own separate and tangible thing. And most importantly, he can bounce himself or others to make them move at incredible speeds to wherever he would like, even to locations that would take several days of flight to reach. And then we have his pacifista modifications, each of which give him a boost to his natural strength, speed, and durability. Prior to being fully converted into a machine, Kuma was strong enough to completely overwhelm the entire Straw Hat crew without any real resistance, moving too fast for them to react, not being able to be damaged by them, and just overall demonstrating what a terrifying force of power he was. He also has lasers very similar to the Pika Pika Nomi, which are strong enough to melt steel. All of these extra adaptations seem to be the baseline for the Seraphim that followed him, except in their cases, they also have the extra Lunarian traits and other devil fruits in place of the pawpaw fruit. However, the S-Bear Seraphim, based on Kuma, also does seem to have this pawpaw fruit, as he was used to transport CP0 onto Egghead Island almost instantaneously. So with that said, 
it is likely the case that if a warlord already does have a fruit, and if an artificial version of that same fruit is available, then the seraphim modeled after them will use that same fruit. And in Esbear's case, this means that he is able to offer some astonishing mobility and defensive abilities for whoever is using him at that time. Next up, the Snake Princess, Boa Hancock, aka the Pirate Empress. We love Boa in this house. Does she kick puppies? Yeah. Is that a problem? No, she's hot. Unlike the previous warlords, Boa doesn't have any animal features herself, but she does have a pet snake to fill in that gap. There's a joke there, I'm sure, but we're gonna move on. When she was 12, Boa and her sisters were captured by slavers and sold to the world government. They would be held there for four years until Fisher Tiger liberated them. While they were held as slaves though, the sisters would experience unimaginable horrors, and the Mero Meronomi would be force-fed to Boa because the captors thought it would be fun. Now, why would a bunch of grown men feed the love love fruit to a child? I don't know but it is probably related to her immense hatred for men. You can fill in the blanks yourself. The love love fruit which they fed to her was hopefully not very useful as a child, but as an adult, it is pretty impactful for her. It allows her to prey on the lustful or perverse feelings of others and turn them into stone. We've seen this used on large groups of people all at once as they swooned over Hancock, but even in the rare circumstance that someone is not attracted to her, she's able to combine her fruit with her own body, meaning that if she kicks someone, for example, the part of the body that she kicked will turn to stone and become brittle. Anything turned to stone by Boa will remain stone until she undoes the effect herself, and even if she dies, they won't return to normal otherwise. That said, if part of your head was turned to stone and cracked off, I'm not sure it would be a great idea to turn it back to normal either way. It's a pretty powerful fruit in her hands, which also leans into her title of Snake Princess. Boa is the ruler of the Kuja, an isolated group of women who live on Amazon Lily who are fittingly based on Themyscira and the Amazon women of Greek mythology. Likely, this is also why Boa's abilities seem to be so similar to the Greek Gorgon Medusa. No men are allowed to enter Amazon Lily other than Luffy and Rayleigh, and any who do make it onto the island will be turned to stone by Boa. It's kind of a perfect defense for her island. It is also important to note that while Boa was a warlord, she literally never did anything the government wanted because she hates them so much. Even the call to Marineford and the threat of losing her warlordship was not a good enough reason to get her to act on their behalf, and it was only because Luffy needed a ride to Impel Down that she agreed to go. But even when the war started, she was as much a threat to the marines as she was to the pirates. Naturally, a few situations would lead her fruit to being much less effective. Firstly, if the opponent is blind like Fujitora, they're probably less likely to be hit by the effects. Not that she isn't extra flirty and seductive when she wants to actually turn people to stone anyways, so if she flirts the right way, I'm sure that could still work. Then we have people like Luffy who are just unaware of what sexuality is, and they are entirely unaffected. Or in cases like Mihawk and Smoker where they're just too serious or too strong-willed and are able to resist the effects in general. Even outside of her fruit though, Boa is pretty powerful. She's strong enough to kick through stone or knock away Smoker, and she's incredibly agile and quick. I consider her fighting style to be very similar to Sanji's, although he seems to pack a much bigger punch, or kick, in exchange for getting to enhance her kicks with the Love Love Fruit. She's a real force to be reckoned with, and that's probably why her bounty is 1,659,000,000. In terms of hockey, Boa has access to Observation, Armament, and Conqueror's Hockey, although we rarely see her using any of these. 
Finally, Boa can be pretty deceptive and cunning unless Luffy is around. When he is, she turns into a complete doting dummy. Now, let's talk about S-Snake. Obviously, she is a younger-looking Boa with all the normal Seraphim bonuses, but I am curious as to how the Devil Fruit will be implemented. I'm hoping they don't go with the it works the same way, look at this child and turn to stone, because that could be awkward. But there are two ways I could see it working. Firstly, isolate the ability that turns people to stone. I don't see this happening as most of the artificial devil fruits seem to be weakened, not enhanced versions of the original. So if we're going to keep it, I would like to go with the second option where we play it off as a gag. We have this Seraphim who is totally confident in her powers and trying to turn people to stone and they're just like, I think I'm gonna pass actually. And that could be a bit of a fun bit. Of course, we don't know if she'll even have the same devil fruit or if it will be replaced with something else, but time will tell. Next up, we have Crocodile. While not having any animal features himself, like Boa, it's made up for by his pets. Crocodile has an entire collection of Banana Wani. Basically, giant crocodiles. Yes, they're crocodiles. I know the dub calls them banana gators, but look at their teeth. Those are some giant crocodiles, and they have bananas growing out of their head. Now, it could also be argued that the scar across Crocodile's face is meant to look like a crocodile's mouth, but personally, I'm not big on that idea. Crocodile himself looks more like a mob boss fitted with a giant poisonous pirate hook. And that's pretty fitting considering he ran an underground pirate crime syndicate called Brokeworks. His original goal in the series was to use his immunity as a warlord to go unimpeded as he took over Alabasta. To do this, he would use rain powder and his devil fruit to bring a several year long drought to the country and place the blame on King Cobra as he positioned himself to be a hero in the people's eyes. All of this to gain access to the royal tomb where he could use Nico Robin to read the poneglyphs and locate the ancient weapon Pluton, a ship so powerful it could obliterate an entire island and effectively make him the king of the world. And that is kind of Crocodile in a nutshell. He is manipulative, he's willing to ruin other people's lives to get ahead, but most of all he is organized and looks at the big picture often relying on others to do the dirty work so that he can remain in the clear. That said, he is also very prideful and very much an opportunist. For example, even though he hates Luffy, he's willing to work with him to escape Impel Down, even if he needs a bit of coaxing from Eva, who seems to have some dirt on him that he doesn't want to be made public. Something to note about Crocodile is that while he can be a bit of a bastard, it is also undeniable that his underlings are completely loyal towards him, with the best example being Daz Bones, who would just about die for Crocodile if he wanted him to. This being incredibly relevant as he and Mihawk came together with Buggy to create the Cross Guild. Mihawk has seemingly no experience with any sizable crew, and Buggy is buggy, so Crocodile, with his excellent sense of organization and leadership, is monumentally important for this group. Between the three of them, Mihawk seems to bring some legitimacy and power, Buggy seems to bring enthusiasm and his cult of personality, and Crocodile keeps things running efficiently. But let's talk Devil Fruit, because his is a doozy. Being the only Logia among the original seven warlords, Crocodile has the Suna Suna Nomi, or the Sand Sand Fruit. This allows him to turn his body into sand, and makes him impervious to any attacks that don't include hockey. That said, he is extra weak to water, as any liquids will solidify him and make him vulnerable to attacks. At the same time though, 
Anything he touches with his right hand can be completely dehydrated and shriveled, including any water that would touch him. So while water does counteract him more than others, he also is a counter for water itself. It's kind of a who hits who first situation. With his fruit, Crocodile can produce and manipulate sand however he would like. He can create dust devils or sandstorms, turn the lower part of his body into sand and propel himself forward, similar to flight, and he can even make things like plants, people, animals, or even inorganic material like buildings completely turn to dust. Crocodile has a lot more going for him than most of the other warlords, but most importantly, he's just very well-rounded and effective at everything he does. He is smart, confident, powerful, charismatic, and his devil fruit is insane. And speaking of which, it's one that a seraphim would be mind-blowingly powerful if it had. This is pretty interesting though, especially because we've seen Elogia being integrated with other pacifistas with the Pika Pika Nomi. So we aren't really sure if Logia can be introduced in the same way as other fruits, so we'll have to see how that actually plays out in integrating that fruit with the new Seraphim. I'd say that at a base it would be able to create and manipulate sand while also dehydrating things. I'm not sure if it would be able to turn itself into sand like a normal Logia does though. Next up, the Warlord with one of the coolest Devil Fruits and the most useless personality, Gekko Moria. His name is based on a pun where Tokage means lizard in Japanese and Kage means shadow, so the dark and gloomy dude gets the name lizard. That said, in terms of design, he's obviously a lot more like a bat, but I guess we're not going with that. Moria comes in just a little bit taller than Kuma and his body is almost completely opposite. While Kuma looks incredibly top-heavy, like a dude who's never worked out his legs in his life, Moria instead looks like a bowling pin. And I gotta say, of all the warlords, Moria is probably tied for my least favorite. He's just kinda really super lame to me, but let me know if you agree in the comments. Moria had a bounty of 320 million when he led the Gecko Pirates against the Beast Pirates in Wano 20 years ago. In this battle, Moria's entire crew was killed, leaving him with nothing. So instead, he looked towards creating an undead crew that could rival Kaido. Before leaving Wano, he would pillage Ryuma's grave, stealing his body and the Shisui, and then would return to the West Blue where he constructed Thriller Bark and joined the Warlords. From here, he would have people like Absalom, Perona, and Dr. Hogback join his crew, and together they would create and lead his zombie island with the power of his devil fruit. Moria would set up Thriller Bark in the Florian Triangle to prey on lost ships, abducting their crew and stealing their shadows to create more zombies. Eventually, he would find Brook, and five years after that, the Straw Hats would arrive and put a stop to him. Recently, we saw him attacking Hachinosu Island and Blackbeard, however, we have yet to learn what happened in this incident other than finding out that Absalom was killed and that Blackbeard ended up inviting Moria to join his crew. While Moria is a bit of a dud, his devil fruit most certainly isn't. The Kage Kage no Mi, or Shadow Shadow Fruit, enables Moria to steal the shadows of other people and insert them into other bodies. If he places them into a living body, that person becomes more powerful. If he places them into a dead body, he can create a zombie that he has complete control over. In the event the shadow belongs to someone with significant willpower, they might not be under his control immediately, but over time, they will quickly begin to listen to him. There doesn't seem to be a limit to how many zombies Moria can control, and the power of the zombie is proportional to both the shadow's original owner and the strength of the new body that they find themselves in, which is why Brook's shadow in Ryuma's body was stronger than Brook was. 
So, hypothetically, Moria could create an infinite and all-powerful army if he got its hands on enough people. For those whose shadows have been stolen, they will fall into a two-day long coma and then must stay out of direct sunlight or they will burst into ashes and die. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And once they die, the zombie their shadow is in will also be killed off. The only way to break this curse without Moria's permission is for the zombie housing their shadow to consume salt. Even without zombies though, the fruit offers some really cool powers for Moria. He can manifest his shadow into a tangible physical form that can be used to grab or attack others or to protect Moria. He can produce a nearly invulnerable shield, or he could make a shadow copy of himself that effectively functions like a Logia user being completely malleable and able to move however Moria would like him to. On top of that, Moria can instantly swap places with this shadow whenever he wants, making him super difficult to pin down. That said, Moria has no mention of hockey, which is so pathetic. Finally, Moria can remove the shadow from his zombies and consume them to power himself up, as we see with Shadow Asgard. The more he consumes, the stronger he gets, but also the more disgusting he looks. The implications this offers in a Seraphim, probably being called S-Bat, are pretty obvious. Being able to create an army to multiply their own strength or to create a Shadow Double is just ridiculous. It means that along with the army of Seraphim, you'll also have to contest with an army of zombies. And as the Seraphim seem much stronger than Moria, they could definitely collect shadows belonging to much stronger people. Next up, we have someone with a fairly similar power in some regards to Moria's. Doflamingo, with his feather boa styled after a flamingo, is probably the most just straight-up evil of the original warlords. Originally, he was a celestial dragon, however, his father Homing decided that he wanted to live among the common people. The people, though, in his new town rejected the Don Quixote family, burning down their mansion, attacking them, and forcing them to live in a small shed and eat from garbage, in retribution for the evils enacted by the other world nobles. Dofi hated his father for making this choice, and even more so when the living conditions caused his mother to fall ill and pass away. However, the breaking point came when the villagers got together, 
lynched the remaining family members, stringing them high up on a wall above flames and berated them and shot at them. Here, Dofi would awaken his conqueror's hockey and declare that he would burn the whole world to the ground. Soon after, he would be found by Treble and start the Doflamingo family. This would go pretty well for him until his brother Rosinante would betray him, acting as a double agent for Sengoku, leading Dofi to trust very few people and becoming an even more angry person. Dofi would try to get the Ape Ape no Mi so that he could have someone perform the immortality surgery on him. However, Rosinante instead gave this to Law and then hid him away so that he could not be found. Over the following years, Dofi would gain a bounty of 340 million berries before being picked up by the world government to act as a warlord. And like Crocodile, he would use this immunity to conquer a nation. He chose Dressrosa, using his devil fruit to cause the king to attack his people, then presenting himself as a hero who would step in to save them, only to become their next mad king. This would last until Luffy and the Straw Hats showed up and freed the nation from him. That said, Dofi is one of the most important characters in the series, as he seems to be informed about some of the secrets of the world. He knows about the immortality surgery, he knows about the secret treasure of Marijua, and he talks about an upcoming war for the Empty Throne. It seems like many of the unanswered questions that the audience still has, Dofi has the answers to. So let's talk Devil Fruit. Dofi has the Ito Itonomi, or the String String Fruit. This allows him to create and manipulate strings that are incredibly durable and super sharp. It's a very versatile ability and offers a lot more than you might think. For example, Dofi can attach these strings to clouds and use them to swing from like Spider-Man, meaning he can essentially fly as long as it isn't too clear of a day. Then we have Dofi's go-to ability, Parasite. By attaching strings to people, he can control every movement they make. He can make string clones, a giant shrinking birdcage that slices through everything in his path. He can slash through things with his strings, raise their temperature to melt through things, shoot strings like bullets, and like a million other things. And that's before Awakening where he turns everything around him into strings as well that he can control. Dofi is basically evil Spider-Man on crack. And that's before we even get to his hockey. Having Conqueror's hockey strong enough to knock out the majority of G5 Marines in Punk Hazard, Armament hockey that is top tier allowing him to cut Smoker, resist Luffy's Jet Gatling, and send Luffy flying with a punch, as well as being strong enough to resist Law's slicing abilities inside of Room, and also having Observation hockey, although it's unclear to what level. The dude is crazy strong, crazy versatile, and it's obvious why he was able to push Luffy to as much of his limits as he did. Much like Moria's Seraphim, a Doflamingo Seraphim model would be crazy. Having access to all of these String String Fruit abilities would make that model an absolute threat, but it's what happens when paired with the other Seraphim models that makes it a very terrifying ability. This is kind of where the combos begin to come into play because together, the Warlords can do some insane stuff. Imagine a situation where we have S-Bear, S-Snake, S-Bat, and S-Flamingo. Names pending. Bear launches Snake into a group where she uses her Devil Fruit to turn people into stone. Then you have Bat and Flamingo walk in to steal their shadows and put parasites on them, meaning we can create a zombie that's just as strong as they are while also controlling their main body, and all of this can happen within a matter of seconds. And in the background, I don't know, you have S-Sharks swimming through the ground and cheering them on or something. We've seen the Warlord's fruits in isolation, but as a team, their possibilities and combos are kind of endless. That said though, that wraps up the original seven, so let's talk about their replacements. 
Jinbei resigned, and Crocodile, Doflamingo, and Moria would all have their warlord ships reversed. The first replacement would be Blackbeard, Marshal D. Teach. Blackbeard remains to be one of the most interesting mysteries remaining in the One Piece world. There are theories on just about every aspect of his character, from his origins and being tied to Roxy's Zebek, to his weird body which allowed him to eat two devil fruits and that doesn't require sleep. And of course, we have him being referred to as a they by Luffy and Zoro. And not in the typical pronoun sense, but instead seeming to imply they are multiple people. There's just so many unanswered threads about him, and it's hard not to be interested. As you might assume by his name, Blackbeard is based on the real-life Blackbeard, Edward Teach. Interestingly though, the real Blackbeard seems to have had his identity divided among three different characters on Whitebeard's crew, with his first name, Edward, being given to Edward Newgate, Whitebeard, Teach being given to Marshall D. Teach, and Thatch, the alternative spelling of his name, being given to the person that Blackbeard would need to kill to get the Dark Dark Fruit. And yes, I know Whitebeard's last name is in reference to the prison, I was just talking about his first name. Aside from his name though, Teach, at least in his post-time skip section of the story, looks much more like the real Blackbeard. Although much bigger, much dirtier somehow, and much grosser. We know that as a child, Teach was picked up by the Whitebeard pirates, and over the years, he would be offered the role of Division Commander. However, he would turn this down to keep attention off of himself. He was instead trying to buy time until the Dark Dark Fruit appeared, and when it did, he would kill Thatch to steal the fruit and leave the Whitebeard Pirates while creating his own crew. Of course, sometime before leaving the Whitebeard Pirates, he would come across Shanks, and their battle would leave a scar across Shanks' eye, as well as giving Shanks a powerful sense of concern towards Blackbeard. We don't know exactly when this happened, but we know Shanks already had his scar when he was staying in Fuchsia, so it was a while back. Anyways, after Crocodile is removed from the Warlords, Teach sends Lafitte to the world government to get him the title of Warlord, despite not having a bounty at this point. Which is very interesting considering he had been a pirate on one of the most renowned crews for several decades. As a warlord, he would capture Ace and give him to the world government so that he could be executed and thus triggering Marineford. However, while everyone was busy preparing for that war, he broke into Impel Down, reaching level 6 and forcing the criminals at that lair to fight to the death. Whoever survived would be picked up for his crew, along with the previous head jailer of Impel Down, Shiryu. From here, he would wait until the Battle of Marineford was approaching its end, and everyone was exhausted. Then, arriving with his new buffed-up crew to seize the opportunity to take on Whitebeard, kill him, and steal his devil fruit, making Blackbeard the only character in the series with two fruit, both of which are insanely broken. From here, he would enter the new world and become a Yonko. He sets up base of operations in Hachinosu Island, then going on to steal some of the most powerful devil fruits that he could find in order to create the ultimate devil fruit-empowered crew. And that kind of brings us up to where we're at right now, with his final bounty resting at 3,996,000,000. Blackbeard, of course, has access to armament hockey powerful enough to stop a sword slash from S-Hawk on Amazon Lily, a slash that cut an entire mountain in half, and observation hockey that allows him to tell how powerful other people are. We often see him gauging how strong Luffy is with just a glance. That said, we still haven't seen Conqueror's Hockey on him, but let's be real, he probably has it. Of course, we do know that he has two Devil Fruits. Firstly, the Dark Dark Fruit, a unique Logia that turns the user into darkness. 
However, it does not make them intangible to damage like every other Logia does, but instead actually makes them feel more pain than they normally would. With this fruit, Blackbeard is able to pull anything into his darkness, and on a larger scale he can absorb things like fire, weapons, people, or entire towns, which can be released whenever he would like them to be. He also has some control over gravity to some extent, being able to pull people towards him from a distance. Most importantly though, anyone he touches will have their Devil Fruit abilities negated while they're in contact, which is a huge game changer. It's implied that this fruit might also be tied to Blackbeard's ability to steal other Devil Fruits, but we still don't have enough information on that. And then there's the fruit that he stole from Whitebeard, the Quake Quake Fruit, allowing him to create vibrations and shockwaves that can travel through any medium, ground, water, or even air. These are strong enough to shake or rip apart an entire island, and it's said that the fruit has the ability to destroy the entire world. When he first gets it, he does have some difficulty controlling this ability by limiting its destructive force, but by the time the time skip rolls around, it's safe to say he's mastered or at least improved his skill with it. That said, we haven't seen too many moments of him using this fruit outside of just slamming it for the biggest impact that he can make. Now, here's the big question. Will there be a Blackbeard Seraphim? And this question is relevant for all of the replacement warlords, because between Blackbeard and Law, the devil fruits that they have are just ridiculous. A Seraphim model with Blackbeard's fruits could absorb anything, destroy anything, and turn off anyone's devil fruit. Of all the Seraphim, this is the one that would have the most potential for eliminating any enemy they came across, which is why it really matters if the world government is making this model or not. And speaking of Law, let's get into him next. Named after the battles in which Napoleon lost in, those being Trafalgar and Waterloo, and being converted to Trafalgar d Water Law, he was born in the country of Flevence in the North Blue and lived in White City. His parents were doctors who trained him and his sister in the craft, however the town had been poisoned by amber lead and everyone there would die before reaching adulthood. Apparently, the world government knew about this amber-led situation and just didn't tell the public, which is not very cash money. Instead, they put the city into quarantine, and Law would only survive because he snuck out hidden under a pile of corpses, eventually finding his way to Doflamingo's crew. Here, Corazon would take him under his wing and tell him that the D-Clan were the natural enemies of God, as well as force-feeding him the Ape Ape Nomi and sacrificing himself to save Law. Law would go on to form the Heart Pirates, named after Corazon, which means heart in Spanish, and would earn enough renown to be labeled one of these supernovas. He would take part in Marineford, sort of, as he saved Luffy, and during the time skip he would be responsible for the Rocky Port incident then bringing the hearts of 100 pirates to the world government and earning the status of warlord. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. Judy. <laughs> 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Finally, he would create an alliance with the Straw Hats to take down Doflamingo, Kaido, and Big Mom, earning his new bounty of $3 billion. When it comes to his devil fruit, Law has a big one. The Ape Ape no Mi allows Law to create a spherical operating room, in which he is basically a god. He can freely manipulate anything within that room, rearrange body parts, swap the locations of two items, and do really whatever he wants. He can cut people in half without injuring them, or make precision cuts with radio knife, or even swap people's personalities into a new body. The possibilities really are endless with this fruit. We even see him awakening this fruit on Wano as he fights Big Mom, and it drastically increases the amount of damage he can do, especially with things like Puncture Surge. Basically, he's hella versatile and super strong, but the most important thing he can do is the Immortality Surgery. Whoever the previous user of the fruit apparently was, gave their life to make someone else immortal. Or something along those lines, it's kind of vague when Dofi explains it. But again, we have some interesting questions when it comes to the Seraphim. Can the world government artificially create this fruit? Could a Seraphim sacrifice themselves to make someone else immortal? Could they make more than one of this fruit and produce an infinite army of immortal world government employees? There is a lot of implications based on what the answers to these questions are. Moving on to Buggy the Clown. Buggy has continued to fail upwards through his entire life, and it's kind of amazing. Starting as a crew member of the Roger Pirates along with Shanks, but as the crew was dissolved, he chose to forge his own path rather than becoming a member of Shanks' crew. And you could say that they both did equally well, as Shanks became a Yonko pretty quickly, and by the start of the story, Buggy had racked up a bounty of 15 million. Huh. Well, he did his best. Buggy was kind of a gag character, but his crew was surprisingly passionate about him and extremely loyal, and this kind of continues through the entirety of the story. His greatest skill is his charisma and his ability to bluff, rather than anything relevant on the battlefield. Buggy would be captured by the Marines and brought to Impel Down, where he partners with Luffy to escape and free a ton of prisoners who would become fully loyal towards him. He was just kind of in the right place at the right time, and at Marineford, everyone sees him at a stage where he had just escaped from Impel Down, it's revealed that he was on Roger's crew, and he, at least to others, seems to talk to Whitebeard like they're an equal. And suddenly, there's this weird mythos and legend around his character. To everyone else, he's suddenly a pirate of pedigree who had done the impossible and stood on equal footing with the world's strongest man. Add in that he already has a cult following, and Buggy finds himself to become a force of nature, a cult of personality. The world government offers him the position of warlord as the following that he had established could be seen as a threat, and that's kind of where things sat for a bit. That is, until the dissolution of the warlords. When the world government began hunting them, Buggy joins together with Mihawk and Crocodile to form Crossguild offering bounties instead on marines in retribution for them hunting the warlords. However, Buggy again would be given credit for this, and was now seen as someone who had both Crocodile and Mihawk, two legends in their own right, 
working under him. His legend grew as a result, and as did his following. And because of this string of being in the right place at the right time, he's given the title of Yonko and a bounty of 3,189,000,000. Which is wild. Buggy's Devil Fruit, while not anything crazy, isn't really terrible either. He has the Chop Chop Fruit, a Devil Fruit allowing him to bisect his body at any point and make those separated parts move in any way that he wants, as long as they're within a range. Furthermore, as long as his feet are on the ground or being carried, the rest of him can fly. And finally, this also makes him immune to being cut or sliced in a similar way to Luffy being immune to blunt force damage. It has about the same creative range as base form Luffy, and the gum gum fruit and the chop chop fruit kind of parallel each other in a lot of ways. However, like I said, Buggy isn't about battle prowess, it's much more about how people see him. If he had a Seraphim, I mean, meh. It could bisect itself, but I don't really think it would be as useful as the other ones unless it was specifically hunting down swordsmen like Zoro or Mihawk. And finally, our last warlord is Edward Weevil, the supposed son of Whitebeard, and my other least favorite warlord along with Moria. We don't have a ton about this dude. At some point, it seems like he was just kind of introduced just to be forgotten. Weevil looks like a big round viking who doesn't seem to quite all be there definitely more brawn than brain. Apparently, he joined the Warlords during the time skip, and his hobbies include hunting down the Whitebeard pirates and their allies. While Weevil isn't about that whole thinking thing, he does allow his mother to tell him what to do and freely control him. Basically, all there is to this guy is that he's strong, he believes he's the heir to Whitebeard's legacy, that Whitebeard's crew is unworthy, and that he hates Blackbeard for killing his supposed father. He had accrued a bounty of 480 million before becoming a warlord, and after becoming a warlord, he continued to cause catastrophes, such as killing over 600 civilians. Weevil has not been shown to use a devil fruit yet, but instead seems to use a Naginata like Whitebeard did, along with armament and observation hockey. If all the Seraphim do end up getting a devil fruit, I'd imagine the Blackbeard one will get the darkness fruit, while Weevils would get the quake quake fruit though I'm sure there'd be several other options that would work as well. I wish there was more to say about Weevil, but there just isn't at this time, so maybe we'll get more information in the future. Now, finally, I do want to mention one thing that could be super interesting. While he never became a warlord, Portgis D. Ace was offered the position of warlord. And I doubt we'll see it, but a Seraphim modeled after Ace could be a phenomenal storytelling device especially if he had to battle against either Sabo or Luffy in the future. And that's where we're going to end it, covering all 11 of the seven Warlords of the Sea, with a bonus mention for Ace. I think looking to these guys offers a really interesting perspective on what might be to come, but even if it doesn't, there's just some of the most interesting and unique characters in the series in this group, and out of all of them, I think my personal favorites would probably be Mihawk and Law, but really... They're all very cool, except Moria and Weevil. Let me know who your favorites are in the comments down below, and let me know if you hate those two as much as I do. Also, you can tell us if you think that we'll see Seraphim modeled after the replacement Warlords, and what do you think of the idea of an Ace Seraphim? With all that said though, we are going to end it there. If you enjoyed the video, remember to leave a like, and if you're new to the channel, remember to subscribe for more One Piece content in the future. Or, if you're looking to support me directly, 
you can head over to my channel, Axel Beats, where I have a series on analyzing villains, and I've talked about a lot of One Piece and My Hero Academia characters over there, so you might enjoy it. That's all for now, though. Until next time, I hope you all remember to stay excellent. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.